T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. It's 7.08. You're listening to News Talk 830 WCCO Radio, your good neighbor station. It is Steel Talk, and Gerilyn Steele is not here. My name is Shaletta Brundage. I will be filling in with you until 11 o'clock tonight. Now, you can normally catch me on Saturdays from 11 to 2 for the Shaletta Show, sponsored by Auto Bremer Trust. But I am so honored that Gerilyn is letting me sit in the captain's chair. My friend Jonathan Lowe is in the studio. I'm at the satellite location in Cottage Grove. Um, and I tell you what, it, it doesn't matter that I'm 45 minutes away. Um, but my heart, I may be in Cottage Grove, but my heart is in North Minneapolis with the children um, who have passed away, the children who were shot, the violence that's going on, the parents who are grieving, the police who are looking for suspects, the neighbors who are too terrified and afraid to speak. Um, and, you know, I, after the murders of the, of the children, um, one of them died um, sooner than the other. And then we had another death this, this past week, a little girl, she, she's, she's, She's my daughter's age, and she looks like my baby. And, you know, I, I felt guilty. I felt guilty that because my husband graduated from medical school, we had options for housing, and we could move further away. We wanted to be in North Minneapolis. Our church is there. Our friends are there um, where we got married and where our kids were baptized. My husband is a trustee, so we spent a lot of time in that community, uh, and we invest a lot in that community. Um, just for Easter, I partnered with Hy-V to take an 18-wheeler uh, full of hams to the food desert in North Minneapolis to pass out Hormel hams right before Easter because people told me they wanted an Easter ham and couldn't afford one. So, you know, this week I, I held my baby close. I, I slept in the bed with my daughter um, j just because I, f I felt guilty that I'm not there, that my child is still alive and the parents who look like me are grieving. So I, I understood and took to heart Myron Metcalf's column today um, in the Star Tribune. If, if you have not read it, um, you need to get there and read it. Um, it. It was worth this. This one read right here was worth paying for the paywall. I tell you that it's called a love letter to the young black men in Minneapolis. I failed and I have the Myron Metcalf on the Shift Real Estate Hotline. Myron, thank you so much for being on Still Talking. Oh, thank you for having me. Okay, this, this, this column was heavy. You say our children have a right to live. Tell me about the inspiration behind it. Well, I mean, you know, I, I, 
I um, I'm always thinking about just ways I can make an impact. I mean, that, that that to me is what the whole column was about. You know, could I um, could I create a con- not create a conversation? Can I encourage conversation? Extend the conversation, the dialogue that we're having about so many of these issues. And you know, whenever it comes to to violence, especially in the black community, um, th- there is certainly a, an element of folks here who will kind of say the same old things to me about family structure and fatherless homes and all these things where uh, they don't really care about these kids either way, uh, but they just want to make a point. And, and you get caught up in that. And for mm-hmm. me, I'm always fearful of uh, writing something that will encourage that element, um, that will encourage those stereotypes. But at the same time, uh, I just felt like I had to think about myself and what I've done or not done. And, and my inspiration was knowing that as a younger person in this community, I did more, you know, I was uh, out volunteering and I was connecting and mentoring and doing all these things. And then, you know, I'm a dad and uh, obviously professionally, I have a lot of things going on and you just sort of let some of those things slip away. So that was my thought was, man, was there someone out there that I maybe would have been able to connect with and help? Um, Could I have played a bigger role? And I think I could have, and I didn't do it. So I think anytime you're a writer, you have to be transparent and honest and that was my attempt to do that, to say, listen, there are a lot of people trying to figure out these issues. Uh, here's where I feel short. You know, I, I'm just going to say I'm trying not to cry because uh, reading your column uh, today, I I had I shed tears and I shared it with my husband. And he looked at me and I ain't going to say he cried, but his eyes watered up. And when I got to that part where you say to the young black man, at a crossroads in Minneapolis. I am ashamed to say I have not done enough to prove I care about what comes next for you. Take me to the moment you wrote this column and you put those words down on paper. Well, when Anaya died, um, I didn't hear about it on Twitter. I didn't hear about it on the Star Tribune. I heard about it directly from K.G. Wilson, her grandfather. I got a text message from him a couple of weeks ago, and, and, it, and it said, you know, they shot my grandbaby. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've been thinking a lot about these issues for, I mean, I've always thought about them. As a young man mm-hmm. in Milwaukee, I went to these funerals, and mm-hmm. as a reporter, mm-hmm. I, I covered these things. But I, I felt like, okay, what am I doing? I, I can't control what anybody else does. You know, I can't control what anybody else thinks. But I've just been thinking a lot about, okay, have I done enough? And there were young men in this area that I had connected with um, years ago when, when I had a heart, uh, and I still have a heart to do it, but when I was actually doing it and I just kept thinking, man, are some of those young men that I had had a chance to connect with, are they involved out here? Are they running the streets? Are they putting themselves in these situations? And I just felt that I had to confess that, you know, who am I to tell you to be better? Uh, if I haven't proven that I care about you. And I think that's what people miss is none of these kids, none of these people are going to respond to you talking to them or even talking down to them. It's all about relationship first and foremost. And if you don't have that, uh, your words are not going to matter. So I felt like I had to acknowledge that, you know what, I haven't established that relationship in ways that I could have. And I do feel like I failed those young men. Maybe it's one, maybe it's two, but I could have done better. We're talking to Myron Metcalf, columnist from the Star Tribune, uh, senior college basketball reporter and nationally syndicated radio host with ESPN about his love letter 
to the young black men in Minneapolis. I, I felt that guilt. I think that's why I connected to it. Um, when those girls died and I looked at them and I looked at my daughter and she's breathing and she's playing and she's jumping on the backyard and the trampoline in Cottage Grove and she's safe. I'm thinking, you know, when we move back here to the Twin Cities, Myron, I wanted to live by fellowship. I wanted to be over, you know, on North 4th Street. And when we went over there, I realized that I couldn't. Now, suppose I would have been stuck. You know, suppose my husband didn't have a job he got. You know, then my babies wouldn't be on the trampoline and, and I would be scared and I wouldn't have a nearby grocery store. I can walk to four or five grocery stores right now, uh, you know, in, in, in five minutes. And here we got the whole community without a place to find food for their families. You know, and, and it's, it's not just about us caring as people, but it's about these corporations caring about the whole community. I mean, you know, I, I was driving through there one night. I was out of gas. Um, it was right after a community service event, and I did not just see uh, a place to get gas, Myron, but I didn't see any hope. And, and I thought to myself, well, what does this say to these young people in this community when nobody is willing to make an investment? Now, if we gentrified it, you could find a Starbucks in a gas station, but because it's just us there, there's nothing. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it, it said that that's the reality, I think, in living in scarcity. And I think, you know, there are a lot of people, you know, white people I deal with who um, I think believe that there is a moral superiority more than anything in the white community versus the black community. And here's the reality. If I went to Eden Prairie right now and I tore up Eden Prairie and I took all the nice homes and I put everybody in Eden Prairie in a small area, and I took jobs from people, and I made it difficult for them to find opportunities, and I stripped people of their education, and all of these things, you just put them on top of each other and said, hey, go live. You would have a lot of these challenges that you see in North Minneapolis. So as long as people think it's a black thing, we'll never solve it because it's not. The reality is, yes, someone cared about me and gave me opportunities. I'm so grateful and so thankful. But make no mistake, I could be that. And if I mm -hmm. didn't have the hope, if I didn't feel like tomorrow was worth it, you wouldn't like me. Because I would go get it, however I had to get it to feed my children. And I think that, to me, is a lot of times what people miss in some of these conversations is I think there are a lot of young men out there who, if you gave them an opportunity, if you gave them a reason to hope, they would make a change. They would feel like, you know what, let me go this way instead of that way. But if you're looking around and nobody's had these opportunities and no one's been given a chance and no one's really been shown that, they're loved. How do you, what do you do with that chaos? You know, how do you decide that there's a brighter future uh, ahead? So I just think there are a lot of young men, and that's why I said young men at a crossroads, because I think there are a lot of young men in the coming months and years who are going to make some decisions that can alter their path, and I just hope they make the right decisions. And I am just so grateful to you um, for having this conversation, for putting this column out there for speaking the truth because you know it's one thing to talk about it at the house you know it's one thing to talk about it with your friends but to bring it to the main stage the main platform to begin a challenging conversation like this um why why did you take it outside the four walls yeah i just i just think it's one of those situations where um i think there are a lot of us maybe who think hey can we do more and I just don't believe in talking down to people. I just, I've seen too much of that in the media space where uh, people tell people what they're supposed to do and uh, it, it becomes this thing where 
it almost like you're looking down on people. Do this because I said so. And I just never want to be that. And I'm all about as a writer, I just want to tell people who I am first and foremost, because until you know that, how can you trust anything I have to say? Um, mm-hmm. So for me, it was about saying, I don't know what people are trying to do. I know there are a lot of people out there who are making every effort. People have devoted their lives to helping in these communities and changing uh, some of these situations so that people can feel safer in these specific communities. But I know I missed out and I didn't do what I could have done. So if I don't start from there and I don't, and I'm not honest about that, well, why can you trust anything I have to say? If I talk to a young man and say, hey, man, you should do this, but I don't admit that, listen, man, I failed and I could have done more, then that's not a relationship that's going to start in honesty. So more than anything, I was challenging myself. And then perhaps others felt challenged challenge as well. But I just want these kids to live. I'm going to go to a nice funeral on Tuesday. Um, and oh, I don't man. know what that's going to be like. Because the last mm. time I went to a funeral of a young person, I was a, I was a young person myself. And my cousin had died of leukemia. And I just don't know what this is going to feel like. But I do feel like I have to be there. And I think a lot of people should pay attention to, to that because this is a baby. And we got to save our babies. And it's so important, Myron, that um, we look at what options and opportunities are available for them. You you do what you see and you do what you know. Um, I, I remember, um, you know, one of our neighbors, um, he, he just felt like he didn't have a way out. Um, and, and he was lost. And, and you could tell he was being lost. And he, he went to another neighbor um, and asked if he could move in with them. Because, you know, he, you know, it was a family, it was a mom, it was a dad, they had a daughter. And, and it was just, you know, these kids are trying to figure it out, a lot of them on their own. And, and for him to say, okay, I see a family over there, they look successful, uh, I don't know anything else I can do, let me ask if I can move in with them. My heart, it just, it just tore my heart up that this child was out here trying to find his own way to success and didn't see anything except getting into the home of a loving family. Yeah. And there are a lot of situations like that. And, and let's be real. There are a bunch of white kids out here who are in the same boat in the oh, same situation truly. where they're trying truly. to figure it out and they don't know left from right either. But here's the difference. White kids get chances, second, third, fourth, fifth chance. If you're black in that situation, you just described, you don't get that second chance. You don't know. You don't get the first chance. You don't get the first chance. So then people go, they're surprised. But the reality is they don't live in a world where people say you're supposed to succeed. Let's make a path mm-hmm. for you to find a different way. I know a bunch of people who are white friends and family members who didn't always make the right decisions, but they found a way because they're in a mm-hmm. world that supported them. And I know African-Americans in that same age group who ended up in prison and jail. But here's the thing. When people talk about that, well, it's the black community and the family. Well, my oldest sisters are adopted, and their mother died of cancer when they were five and seven years old, and their father walked out on them. And I don't know what they would have done without my family, but guess what? They got that, and they got an opportunity, mm-hmm. and now they both have master's mm-hmm. degrees. Like, stop giving up on these kids. They just need an yeah. opportunity and a chance, and they need support and love, and you'll be shocked by what you see if they get that. And, you know, it's not the, it's, it's the system. You know, you want to say, well, it's the family. You know, people want to say it's the family structure. It's that they, they, they didn't have a dad in the home. It's the system. The system a lot of times is set up to fail our children. They get the worst punishment. They get the worst sentence. You know, the numbers are there. The statistics are there. The system is not set up to offer success to our children. It's, it's not. And, here, and here's something that I, I, I don't like. 
let's stop pretending that having a father in the home is the ticket to everything. Here's what it really is in a lot of these cases, having a two-parent home. In this society, it's more income. There is a different level in terms of how society views you. But there is a lot of sexism and gender discrimination that comes with these whole father-in-the-home conversations, right? Like there are advantages to that financially a lot of times. There are advantages to that professionally. But I just can't stand some of these conversations where you exclude these amazing single mothers out there who are doing it every single day. And I know a bunch of them. And they are amazing. They should be praised. But to act like there aren't individuals who are doing their best to raise these children, steer them in the right direction, is so unfair. You know what happens? Kids do what kids want to do, no matter how many times they're told to do right. So this idea that it's some moral failure in the black community is ridiculous and wrong. At the end of the day, these are individuals who need a better opportunity, more support and love, and they need to be told that there is a future ahead. Then you'll see change. Myra Metcalf, um, Star Tribune columnist, ESPN syndicated radio host and senior college basketball reporter. Thank you so much for your words, for your column, for speaking your truth and enlightening us all. I appreciate your time. Thank you. All right, you guys stick around. There's more to come on Steel Talk. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. It's 728. You're listening to Steel Talking on News Talk 830 WCCO Radio. Geraldine Steele is out tonight. I'm Shaletta Brundage, and I will be here with you until 11 o'clock. Now, I am so grateful for that conversation with Myron Metcalf. Make sure you go to the Odyssey app and download it and share it with your friends. Check out his Star Tribune column. It is an amazing love letter to young black men in North Minneapolis. It'll make you think, it'll make you cry, it'll move you to action. But we've got more to come on Still Talking. My friend Miss Shannon is coming up. She's got a brand new comedy show. You're getting out there, you got your vaccines, you got your mask, your face shields, your gloves, your Clorox wipes. You gotta go check her out. It's time to have some fun and laugh. Don't you miss laughing? I know I do. And one person who can tickle your funny bone is that Miss Shannon. She is coming up on center stage, all things arts and entertainment in the nine o'clock hour. 
right here on Steel Talking. It is 735. You're listening to Steel Talking on News Talk 830 WCCO Radio, your good neighbor station. Geraldine Steele is out tonight, but I am so excited and honored that she let me sit in the captain's chair. My name is Shaletta Brundage, and you can catch me on Saturdays from 11 to 2 on the Shaletta Show, sponsored by Otto Brimmer Trust. Now, I have to tell y'all, uh, I was excited when I saw that um, President Joe Biden uh, proposed a plan to make good on his promise for free community colleges. I've got my niece is graduating this year. I have another niece graduating the year after that. Two nieces and a nephew graduating the year after that. And one nephew who took a gap year last year and is getting ready to start um, his college education. And we're talking $109 billion for two years of free community college. And according to the president, he said he wants every student to have the ability to gain a degree or a certificate. Dreamer students uh, would also be included. Uh, The president said American workers need and deserve additional support to build their skills, increase their earnings, remain competitive and share in the benefits of the new economy. Now, how is that going to impact community colleges in Minnesota? Sharon Pierce is the president of Minneapolis College. Ms. Pierce, thank you so much for being here on Still Talking. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Now, we got to talk about this because, you know, I'm saying, yay, yay, my sisters and my brothers don't have to go broke sending their kids to college. You know, if this plan is enacted, they don't have to, um, you know, get the loans and and go into debt. And and I know when I came out of college, I was $40,000 in debt. Um, and and it just seemed at the time as a new college kid working for what eleven bucks an hour, that it was insurmountable that I'd never be able to pay it all off. Uh, you know, I, I to me for me I just see win win situation here. Right, I think it's an exciting initiative. Essentially, what it says is, as a country, we're going to make a commitment to providing two additional years of education beyond K-12. through You know, we figured out how to pay for K-12. through K-12 through wasn't always free. Adding on the two additional years gives people the opportunity to earn a certificate or a degree that will lead to a life-supporting wage, one that will allow them to participate in the economy in a way that the high school diploma used to. And it mm-hmm. does no longer. And so we're essentially t- talking about, um, and I, I understand he also talked about pre-K. So pre-K through 12 plus 2. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, what are, what are some of the, the negative impacts that this um, legislation would have? I, I mean, you know, I know people say, uh, well, what about me? I had to pay for mine. You know, but I'm just excited for the young people who, you know, because the first two years for most of us, we're still trying to figure it out. Most of the time, those first two years are a wash anyway, because you're taking classes that, you know, are not going to transfer 
transfer to your major. You start out thinking you're going to be pre-law and you wind up getting a journalism degree. You start out going to nursing school and wind up, you know, <laughs> you know, going over to Bethel somewhere and getting a certificate to to preach. So, you know, those first two years are really, you know, for a lot of people, formative years. And, you know, not saying that the money goes down the drain because, you know, you do so much learning and socialization and, and there's so many other valuable lessons that you learn as you become uh, an adult and start making some of your own decisions while on a college campus. But for me, it just frees up that time for kids to not have to worry about how they're going to pay for books or not have to worry about um, how how they're going to, you know, pay for dorms or eat. Because for a lot of us, um, President uh, Pierce, that was shocking. I I mean, I went from, you know, free 12th grade at public school to now I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to eat and uh, you know, how I'm going to pay for these books. And, and you mean the books are free? I, I just, for me, I wasn't prepared. So having something like this would give me an opportunity to focus on my studies and not have to worry about finances. Yes. Well, the, as you say, the devil's in the details. So what does he mean by free community college? One of the great things about community and technical colleges is that they help students find their path. We help them figure it out so that they're not, uh, searching and trying to figure out where they want to go and that they're not wasting credits. For example, we have exploratory majors at Minneapolis College where a student has the opportunity to experience different things and all the credits count toward where they're going in transfer. And, of course, we have the certificate and degree and diploma programs that allow a person to go directly to the workforce. So one of the things that we try and do, and it's been really important in our mission, is to make sure that students aren't floundering, aren't trying to figure it out, that they have access to quality advising, that they have access to career coaches who are able to help them with some of those decisions. And Free Community College, what is he talking about tuition? Does that include books? We know tuition is only a piece of the puzzle that helps students be successful. And when students come over to Minneapolis College, uh, we're talking to Sharon Pierce. She is the president um, of that institution. Uh, MCTC uh, is what it was referred to um, in the past. And and that may be the way that some of us um, know the the school and and remember um, the campus MCTC. It is now Minneapolis College. Um, When students come there um, with everything that we have going on, uh, President Pierce, we've got a pandemic, um, we've got um, riots, we've got uprising, we've got two um, unarmed African-American men shot by police. Um, that's a heavy burden to bring into the classroom. What kind of challenges are you seeing from our young people um, as they come to try um, and take their minds off of what is going on around them and focus on their studies? Yeah. Well, I'll see that and faculty and staff have experienced every emotion that the entire population has felt. In some ways, perhaps even deeper, as they are have been at the epicenter of the social justice movement. And so we have really concentrated this last year on making progress on our pledge to become an anti-racist college. We know it's an aspiration. It's a journey. It's not a destination. And so this year, we just really put a lot of focus on self-examination, reflection, and learning. 
for our faculty, our students, and our staff, giving our students the space to have these conversations in a um, supportive environment, giving the students the opportunity to share their voice. We've had a donor who stepped up to the plate right after George Floyd was murdered, who is working with our college, the Minneapolis Foundation, Minneapolis College Foundation, to work with us on a, on a Bridging the Equity Gap initiative, which is a, a, a bridge scholarship designed specifically for black and indigenous male students. So we know they need more than financial support. We're talking right. about academic support, coaching, peer engagement, mentoring, um, opportunities to learn and how to be a community leader, a cohort system for social and cultural support. So wrapping all of those services around our students, meals, retreats, service learning opportunities. Our students need assistance with transportation. They need, they need to know how to apply for SNAP if they're eligible. We help students um, acquire housing. So we're looking at the entire student, not just the one thing about how they're doing in a course, but how they are learning and growing as holistic human beings. That's a lot. Um, how, how are you, how is the college, uh, President Pierce, going to be able to do all of that? Well, we understand that we can't do it alone, that we must partner. We have to partner with the community. We have to partner with other agencies. We have to partner with Hennepin County, the city of Minneapolis, other not, uh, nonprofit organizations. And we need to be able to leverage our expertise, but also bring in the partners to work with us. Employers have a, an important role to play in this. We need the employers on campus helping us develop our students, making sure that they have the skills that they need to be successful when they leave the campus, whether they go directly to work or transfer to a four-year institution. So we know that this isn't anything that we can accomplish by ourselves. We need our students as partners. We need our students to partner with us and to let us know what's going on in their lives and how we can support them. So it is nothing that we can do alone. We absolutely have to have collaborations and partnerships. And those partnerships are so important, but how do you even go about reaching out? Um, companies are strapped. They were hit hard by COVID. Um, they're not doing as much as they used to. You know, they used to just throw the dollars at you and send the folk over there. And, you know, they, they had all of the extra um, because, you know, business was good and it was booming and downtown was thriving. You know, the Minneapolis was thriving. And, and now, you know, things are shut down. And if it wasn't shut down for COVID, they boarded up uh, b- because of the protest. And, and, you know, they're scared to open back up, uh, you know, because we still got Dante Wright's uh, case and in, in, in the trial of the other three officers who were with Derek Chauvin, uh, who killed George Floyd. And, and and so, you know, you know, what kind of roadblocks, what kind of barriers are you facing just because of where you are and the city that you represent? Part of it is helping people to be comfortable with the idea of returning to downtown Minneapolis, because we are in downtown Minneapolis. We're right off of Lauren Park that, um, you know, the, the entire city has seen an, a surge in violence. And so helping people know that our campus is safe 
and that it's, you're able to come onto the campus. We have an award-winning group of people who work in our public safety areas who try and make sure that we have the information we need to be safe and that they're helping to keep us safe and that the campus is safe. The folks can come on campus and you will have access to what you need to learn. Because one of the things we know, like you said, what happened just exposed a huge digital divide. So Mm -hmm. one of the things we had to do was focus on making sure our students, faculty, and staff had access to the type of technology and broadband um, internet that they needed to be able to do their work and do their learning. And the device alone isn't enough. They need access to the program. So there's a lot of infrastructure that needs to be taken into consideration. And we do have partners who have stepped up to the plate, who have been long-term partners for Mm -hmm. us, who um, reached out to us and asked, what can we do? What do you need? We had folks who were delivering free meals on the campus every Wednesday to anybody, anybody. If you were on campus, you could have free lunch on Wednesdays. So it is about maintaining the community partners we have making sure that we nurture those relationships and seek other relationships. One of the things that I think folks really do understand is that these are things that are important to do. There's a moral imperative, but there's also an economic imperative. The economic imperative is that folks need well-prepared employees, and they want employees who are able to to function in more than one culture. They want employees who have intercultural competence and awareness. And Minneapolis College is one of the places that students are able to gain that type of experience. That makes them desirable employees. Um, you know, Minnesota I, has a workforce shortage. So Yeah. And and you are doing that and you are making those services available and preparing these young people for a brighter future. Doctor, I'm sorry, Professor, uh, President uh, of Minneapolis College, Sharon Pierce, thank you so much for being on Still Talking tonight. We had a great and amazing conversation. You got to come back. Thank you for having me. As you can tell, I'm really passionate about it. And so um, you are get me started and I can't stop. But I appreciate the time you gave me. Yes, ma'am. And she came to us from the Shift Real Estate Hotline. When we come back, an update uh, from the Stop the Gun Rally in North Minneapolis going on right now. Stick around. It's 755. You're listening to News Talk 830 WCCO Radio. It's still talking. Your host, Gerilyn Steele, is off tonight. My name is Shaletta Brundage, and I am filling in. If I wasn't here with you all hosting the show, I'd be in North Minneapolis where residents gathered uh, on the city's north side for a Stop the Gun Violence rally. Uh, It comes following an increase in gun violence in the area. Two children under the age of 10 have died as a result of the senseless gun violence just this month. I don't know about you, but I'm ready to flip my calendar because May has been a mother. When two young girls can't jump in the backyard in their trampoline safely, um, your child shouldn't die because they're playing outside in their own yard. 
And uh, I've been following Mitty Hicks from Fox 9 News. Um, she's been covering the story, and she is out there. She's posting on Twitter. And there was a moment that touched my heart between Trinity's father and 10-year-old LaDavion's dad. Both men share the same pain as their children or victims of gun violence. We know Trinity died. LaDavion remains in the hospital. The community rallied around these two men tonight and let them know that they supported them like this. They wanted these men to know that they had their backs. They supported them. There are a couple hundred people marching the street, honoring these families, these lives that have been lost. I hate I couldn't be there. But the work continues. And it's so good to see the community coming out to support the grieving dads and the dads who are hoping that their children pull through. We'll be back. We've got more to come on Still Talking, more conversations, um, more courageous dialogue. We're going to challenge. We're going to change. We're going to try. Stick around. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.